Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. It's an honor to be able to be here with you, to be able to celebrate this second week of Advent as we celebrate and look into the whole idea of what does it mean to be people of peace and to not be people that are fearing anything. And today we're going to talk about fearing timing a little bit. And so I brought a little hourglass from my office. Uh, don't worry, it's not an hour that's going to time me on my preaching, but I just want us to, I'm going to sit this right here. Uh, because I think it's interesting, as we begin to think about time, I don't know about you, but time is something that's a mystery to me. Uh, time is something that kind of blows my mind when I think about the whole balance of, uh, of God coming into the midst of time, not only for Zechariah that we're going to read about today and Elizabeth, but also Christ himself, that in the midst of time, God is there. Uh, I remember many, many years ago watching Dr. Carl Sagan as an astrophysicist, and he's talking about the, the galaxies and the billions and billions of stars and how that impacts uh, not only destiny and time and things like that. And I remember then as I became a Christian that my mind was just expanded with the thought that what does it really mean that God is beyond time, that God enters into time? Uh, maybe it's just me. Uh, but then it began to get a little confusing at different times. Because if God is stepping into time, then I'd always ask the question, well, what about this time that I'm going through? Uh, what about this situation? And, you know, usually we take comfort in one or two different ways. Either we take comfort in the fact that, uh, you know, we'll say everything happens for a reason and, a reason, and God's timing is always perfect. Uh, or we'll take the other thing is that in the midst of this time, God wants to teach me so many different things. And, and today, I don't know about you, but I, I struggle with some of both of those answers. That I believe them at one level, but at the other side, timing works really good when everything's going well. Uh, but timing sometimes can be difficult when things are not going well. Uh, and, and so as we look at the scriptures today, this comes from 30 years of pastoring and dealing with some different difficult situations that I've had to pastor people through where timing was not right. It works well when, and we look up to God and we say, thank you, God, that the car missed us at the red light. And as it was running and it missed us, and we say, thank you, Lord. But what does that mean theologically as I say God steps into time when there is a tragedy, when there is job loss, there is health-related issues, that COVID for some ends up being not very difficult, but then others, it ends up ending in death. And so in your situation, maybe you've gone through that, where you've said, Lord, where are you in the midst of time? Where are you in the midst of this difficult day? And you might be there right now, but I believe more than anything is that God manifests his sovereignty and his love, that he is continually present, and he is here to bring us peace. Uh, this whole discussion of time and thinking again about the hourglass, I, I'm reminded of one of my favorite uh, movies called The Greatest Showman. And maybe you've seen it, uh, but there's a scene in it where you've got Zac Efron as an Anglo-American, white American, that is falling in love with Zendaya, who is uh, African-American, a person of color. And they're both singing in this 
song called Rewrite the Stars uh, about the fact that who is creating the destiny in front of us? And uh, just listen to uh, Zach Efron says, You claim it's not in the cards that fate is pulling you miles away from me and out of reach from me, but you're here in my heart, so who can stop me if I decide that you're my destiny? Uh, and he says, What if we rewrite the stars, say that you were made to be mine, for nothing can keep us apart, for you are the one I was meant to find. So it's up to you, it's up to me, no one can say what's meant to be, so why don't we rewrite the stars? And then she comes into this, and again, The Greatest Showman is based on about P.T. Barnum in the 1800s. And so the whole idea of interracial relationship was not something that was accepted. And so she steps in and she says, there are mountains and there are doors that we can't walk through. No one can rewrite the stars. How can you say that you'll be mine? Everything keeps us apart. I'm not the one you are meant to find. It's not up to you. It's not up to me. When anyone tells us what we can be, so how can we rewrite the stars and say that the world's world will be ours tonight? Uh, my, my brain goes through both of those different dichotomies of uh, are, are we involved to be part of rewriting God's work in the world, or do we sit back and wait for Him to rewrite the stars and the destiny? And as I look at scriptures, we look at the scriptures today, I, I say yes to both of those. It is that God has this covenant relationship with us, that He is loving and that He is always available. At the same time, we have a covenant relationship with Him, that He desires us to be faithful and ready to be able to do His will. As Pastor Dave talked about all the different partnerships, uh, you have been so faithful, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. You have been faithful to respond. But as we talk about peace instead of fear, I think it's interesting that there's always that balance, that there's things that God gives by His Holy Spirit to bring us peace, but at the same time that He wants us to be people of peace, to make peace, to grant peace into our world and into our relationships. And so both work together as we think about that. Uh, it's interesting how God steps in the midst of time, and we, we don't control those things. But I was thinking of some different quotes uh, that support that scripture. Uh, Abraham Lincoln at the Gettysburg Address, uh, which I think was, again, fascinating. He says, The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. So here he is saying that my words really are not going to last the test of time, but they did for some reason. They did send the, or last the test of time. Eleanor Roosevelt at the 1940 Democratic Convention, only 20 years after women were given the right to vote, said, This is no ordinary time. No time except for what is best for the country as a whole. And so time impacts our ability to be able to then move and respond, but God ends up anointing that and connecting with His covenant. Dr. King said that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. It bends towards what is right. It bends towards righteousness. That the arc of the covenant, or the arc of the moral universe goes that way, towards what is right. And as I think about that, and maybe just me, I end up thinking about what does it mean like where I'm born and what century I'm born in. 1800s was completely different than the 20th century. If I was born in Eswatini, if I was born in America, where I was born, what generation I was born into. And again, maybe it's just me, but I end up thinking that theology to work, it has to be right in all situations. So where is God in the midst of timing? 
And the fact is, is where do I really sense his presence in the midst of this time that I find myself? Uh, this past week, I was reading Dr. Daniel's uh, devotional that, uh, that Austin had read. And I think it was on Tuesday. He says that prisoners of hope are not exempt from times of lament. Prisoners of hope are not guaranteed, guaranteed freedom from exhaustion. However, prisoners of hope are promised times of renewal. God's people are continually reinvigorated by knowing that the Lord is everlasting and that the Creator does not grow tired or weary and that God gives strength to the worn out and power to the weak. And so we're gonna, we are prisoners of hope. As we look at scriptures today, we're going to look at Zechariah and Elizabeth. A little bit of background. Uh, we know from scripture that we're about to read that Zechariah was a priest. He was a direct descendant of Aaron. Uh, there was over 20,000 priests during that time. Too many for anyone to be able to serve and to be able to go into the temple. And so they ended up creating lots. Uh, they drew lots of who would have the ability to do that. But on the day that Zechariah's lot was gone to, or drawn towards him, what was the emotion that he was feeling? He'd be ready for this. He'd been prepared for it. Uh, William Barclay says, it's quite possible that many priests would have never had the privilege of burning incense all of his life. But if the lot does fall on any priest that day, that was the greatest day in their life, the day that they longed for and that they dreamed for. And on this day, the lot fell on Zacharias, and he would be thrilled to the core of his being. And so as we read Scripture, we want to think about the emotion of that, of the mystery of time stepping into it, but yet also the response uh, from Zechariah. And so listen to the word from Luke chapter 1, verse 5 with me. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God observing all of the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were well along in years. And once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as the priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right hand side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You will give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be a great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine or ferment a drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And many of the people of Israel will bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to the children and disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm only an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you. And to tell you this good news, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. And meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. 
They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home, and after his wife Elizabeth became pregnant for five months, remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. I read that whole scripture just because what an amazing story that there's this balance of God coming into a specific time in history, but at the same time believing that God is always available to us. And we want to look at the scripture. And as I look at this scripture again, I, I state this is my own journey. I, I don't have all of the answers on this, but I do know that God desires for us to not fear and to be people of peace. Uh, as we look at this, let's look at the first thing, is that we see his general covenant uh, begin, even at the beginning, uh, we see the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. It says that she was still barren. Uh, it begins with her barrenness, and she even uses the word disgrace a little bit later on. And I think this is important, but as she is barren, notice that in verse 6, it says that they were both seen as righteous before God, even though they were barren. I don't want us to cruise by this too fast, because I think it's really important that we don't miss the fact that God saw this, them as righteous before there was the promise of the child. I think that's important because quite often we look at society, we look at our own circumstances, and maybe just me, but because of circumstances, I question whether or not I am righteous. I question where God is at. I question His timing into this situation to say, God, what are you trying to teach me? Uh, we look through our own lens of circumstances, and that we know that God is continually working on our behalf, uh, but often we're saying, Lord, I know that you're with me when everything's going well, and he is. He is with us. But how often when we feel barren, we feel like we're in disgrace, we feel tired, we feel exhausted, we feel like when the job is going great, He is with us, but sometimes we doubt when the job is not there. And so the Scripture here reminds us right from the beginning that we need to not fear our time of barrenness. We need to be faithful. And that the focus of this is not necessarily just, and we'll talk about the expectancy and the child coming true in a little bit, little bit. But I don't want us to jump to the fact that, oh, he's only faithful if everything goes well. Only when the child comes, because we know individuals who have lost children. We know individuals who, not only when you get the job that God is with you, but also when you lose the job, he's, he's with you. And that the scripture reminds us in the totality of scripture that we need to not fear that time of barrenness, but he calls us to be faithful. So don't fear, be faithful. God sees you as righteous. Uh, quite often, even in working in Skid Row, working in downtown LA, there were so many different times uh, that I remember praying for payroll and the money to come to be able to pay for payroll. I mean, there's different times in my past when I had great jobs uh, like now, uh, but there's also times in my past where I know what it was like to lose a job. And there's maybe some of you even during this time, right now, that you've lost a job, things not working out, and you're questioning whether or not God is there for you. May I just encourage you, don't fear this time of barrenness. Just seek Him, be faithful. He has not forsaken you. He's not left you. 
And so the second thing we end up seeing in Scripture that I think is really interesting, in verse 9, Zechariah was chosen by lots. Now, it's interesting. Uh, this is also in, in, throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, a lot of times they use the drawing of lots to divide land. Uh, in the New Testament, really, the, the new disciple was chosen by lots. Uh, and, and so we end up seeing this, that there's a sense of randomness. So I want us to say, don't fear random opportunities, but be ready. Uh, we don't see just life as a deist that just says, well, everything that happens, well, God wills. Well, there's some things that work out well, but there's other things that don't. Uh, as most know, I'm a Chiefs fan, and uh, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl last year. But for those who really are Chiefs fans, you know, what about 49ers fans? Or today about Bronco fans, you know? Uh, there's that dynamic that says, in random opportunities, I'm hoping for the very, very best to happen. Well, what about the other side? And, and so, what do we, how do we look at random opportunities? Well, in this case, in Zechariah, the lot was drawn, and it was his opportunity. He was excited. He stepped up, and he was ready to step into it. We'll talk about his lack of faith in a little bit, but I think it's interesting that we can't just look at random opportunities and say, well... This is God's will that occurred. Sometimes random opportunities are good and sometimes not, obviously. But this is the mystery of God's involvement into time, into random opportunities. And when we look at this, that he shows his sovereignty, not just by controlling specific situations sometimes, but it's the fact that he's continually present throughout all of opportunities. Augustine said, and I love this as a quote, Augustine said, Every meeting is a divine encounter. Every meeting is an exchange of gifts. So I think it's a different way to look at random opportunities to say, how can I be ready in every situation to be God's hands and feet for this situation? To bring love, that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That I would take, look into this random opportunities like Zechariah and say, I want to be ready. I'm going to step into the temple, and I'm going to do whatever God has me to do. Now, again, we, we know that he has a little bit of a lack of faith, and we'll talk about that. But he was ready to step in at that random opportunity. I, I was reminded the last couple months, really the last six months, about two faithful staff members that have stepped up to be ready in the midst of random opportunities. That we never know what situations will come our way, and it would come their way, but maybe you've heard the story about Candace and Dan McVeigh. They had a family member, uh, Tara, uh, that had been exposed to drugs at an early age at, in the womb, and, and then because of some traumatic events, not to go into, but uh, they ended up deciding to step up and to be ready to be able to take that child and to adopt Tara into their family. They even moved to Arizona and moved, lived in Arizona and California for a period of months to be able to help the adoption process to go through. They stepped up to the plate. There's another staff member, and again, remain nameless just because of situations uh, legally. But I just wanted to read one of the testimonies of that uh, staff member that took in a child to help them during this season of time but their decision to be ready to be used by the Lord. Uh, our staff member says, It was a normal afternoon when my wife got the call from her brother. I could, not, 
I could only hear my wife's reactions, and they kept escalating. How long have they been homeless? Did they make it to the hospital? Where is the baby now? He says, I could hear the answers or the details, but I figured that our life was about to change considerably. We weren't looking to become foster parents when a call like that comes through, but there was a baby needing a home. I don't know anyone who wouldn't respond the way that we did. And then one other thing, he says, just from the beginning, we knew we were just filling in, that we were a bookmark, just a placemark in our story before he began his life with his new family. Even though we never imagined that we'd be fostering a baby after having our own children, though we, when we started it, we were totally unprepared, but we would do it all again without a moment of doubt. I, I, I just wanted to highlight them as staff members because you have your own story. What does it mean to, be, to not fear random opportunities that come your way, but to have an attitude of, during this season, I want to be ready to be used by God. During this time, to not let random opportunities direct your fear and your attitude, but to have an approach to say, Lord, I just want to be ready. As Francis says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Let me be used by you. And you're doing that daily, not only for your family members and your coworkers and your community, but may you be encouraged that just like Zechariah, when the lot came to him, he was ready to step in to the best of his ability. And so let us not fear random opportunities, but be ready. Uh, you know, and I think especially about faith promise, whether it's Eswatini or stars, that God might be speaking to you to step into something. Uh, Max Lucado uh, says in his book, God Came Near, he says, regardless of the nature of our call that God speaks to us about, the consequences in our minds are still the same. It's a civil war. Though your heart may say yes, your feet say no, excuses blow numerously as golden leaves in the autumn wind. It's not my talent. It's not my time. But eventually, you're left staring at a bare tree and a hard choice. Will it be his will or mine? And so the question is, we want to be ready. Uh, the third thing is, in verse 13 to 17, the angel Gabriel then speaks to the promise of a child, Zechariah. And as he's speaking... He gives a promise and a fulfillment of something good to come. He says, a child will be born. And again, I don't want us to focus just on the fulfillment of the child being born, because as I talked before, sometimes uh, we experience loss. And so the, the promise of God is not just that the child is born, but that God is available. He is listening. He is fulfilling His promise, His covenant relationship with us. And so we don't need to fear our current reality. We should be expectant. We could lean into the fact that God has promises in store for us. Uh, Pastor Dave, months ago, and talks about the fact that God always has a plan A, that there's not a plan B, that God is continually available, and His plan A is always there. Uh, and so we can be expectant that the promise of the child the promise of John the Baptist, the promise of the Messiah was there from the angel Gabriel. It's the same way for us and for here today. Sometimes the, the response, the circumstances is not what we wanted it to be. But yet we can still believe in a lot of different scriptures that reminds us that in Romans 8, 28, that all things, God is working for our good. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says that we have this jet treasure in jars of clay 
so that we know that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Though we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And so there's that promise again and again and again that we live in hopeful expectation. Isaiah 54 says, Though the mountains be shaken or the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord. And so even when circumstances are occurring, we need to not fear that. We need to lean into hopeful expectation and be expectant that he has a plan A for us, that he's for us. The last thing I just want us to focus on is, and this is, gets a little bit confusing uh, for me, one final area is verse 19 when Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God. I stand is in the present time. And, and so, not to be too Star Wars or Star Trekky in here a little bit, but uh, the whole idea of time, we look at the hourglass and we look at the possibility of how does God step into this time when He is continually beyond time. Uh, I, I'm reminded years ago when I read, uh, uh, well, Charles Ladd in his book about the kingdom of God says that the kingdom of God is not yet but already here. It's kind of that mystery that we're praying that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not fully here, but it is here. It's among us, Jesus says. I remember when I was in college, I read the book uh, Reasonable Faith by Tony Campolo, and this really blew my mind. Listen to this quote. He says, Time is relative to motion and at the speed of light. Time is an exasperable flow of successive events, ceases to exist at all. So at the speed of light, for all of you JPL people, maybe uh, watching this, at the speed of light, everything is caught up in an eternal now. The temporal is caught up in the eternal and it's difficult to put this all together. However, the more I read about the feel of astrophysics, the more I've convinced that now is part of eternity, and that eternity can be experienced now. So I'm led to believe that what I encounter now does not simply become part of dead history, but it's part of an eternal now that belongs to another level of existence. So what does that mean for us? It means that when we live in the now, it's not just now. That, that, that there's a connection to the eternal, eternity. There's a connection to eternal now. There's a connection to the God of all creation that fulfills His loving commitment to us and that we then have a covenant relationship back to Him, that we can live in the eternal now. So I want my desire for all of us is that we would try to live in the eternal now, not to live and to be afraid of the past, to not be afraid and looking towards the future, but to enjoy and to really embrace the Spirit of God, what He wants to say to us now. That we haven't missed the timing, we haven't missed what God wants, because the good news is, is that if we missed an opportunity to serve Him, there's going to be another opportunity and another opportunity. I, I know when we look at different jobs, we say, oh Lord, I want this job or this job. But the reality of the eternal now is the fact that He is that both of those opportunities. What is the best for us? What is the most gracious? What is the most healing? So we don't live in fear, but we live in the eternal now with our families, with our kids, with our co-workers, that this opportunity, God wants to reveal Himself and to come in the midst of it and reveal Himself. 
just one last thought is thinking about the whole idea of the Franciscan cross or the Franciscan prayer of, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. That God desires to come in the midst of this uh, and say, Lord, not only do, does the Lord want to bring peace, but he wants us to help create peace. He wants to live in peace. And so he wants us to live in a time of uh, being ready to be able to serve him, uh, being faithful to him in his covenant relationship with us, that we are faithful to him, uh, that we are expectant and living with hopeful expectation and, and not living in fear of the past. And the final thing is that, that we would live with a, a sense that he is the eternal now, that though it's confusing, that we don't fear confusion, that we can live at peace, that we can be people of peace that search after him. And as we think about being used by him, that as God desires peace for our world, he wants us to be able to create peace and to work for peace. He wants us to be able to be the hands and feet, to be able to be the manifestation of his love and his grace into our hurting and broken world. You do that daily. May we continue to be encouraged that we don't have to live in fear, but we can enjoy God's timing for right here, for right now. Would you pray with me before we begin to move towards sharing communion together? Let's pray. Lord, as we step into the whole idea of you having specific will for Zechariah and Elizabeth, for John the Baptist, that you came into this world incarnate into the form of a baby, that sometimes we are in a time where we feel barren, we feel disgraced, we feel like that you are not there. For those centuries before you came, Lord, that people were, that we felt that you were silent. May you remind us today that your scripture shows us uh, that, Lord, that you desire for us to be faithful in this time. You desire for us to be ready to serve you. You want us to be expectant. You want us to be pe people of peace. You want us to not live in fear of the timing, but to live in the eternal now that you are at work and that you are available and that you are present with us. And so, Lord, bless us during this holiday season a very unique holiday season, that as we wait for you to reveal yourself, that we know that you are close by. Come, Lord Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.